Welcome back, guys. This is with you. Is this this is? I'll get there in the end. Encounter with God here on the Breakfast Show, which means twenty million movement Bible study. You're with Darren Pratt and myself, Lyle Southwell. This morning, we are super excited in, about getting into today's Bible study because the Bible study today is all about conversion testimonies. Our first one is in Acts chapter 16, verse 11 to 15. We're going to be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit as we go through uh, this particular Bible study today. Acts, uh, Acts 16, verse 11 to 15, if you could read that for, for us. Yeah, please. this is one of my favorite stories, by the way, um, in the New Testament. Cool. It says, We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothras, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptised along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Okay, this is a fantastic story. I love this story right here. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, one of your favorite stories uh, too, Darren, you've got this, uh, you've you got Paul, he's traveling to Europe. He arrives in Europe and you can imagine, you know, this is the first time the gospel has ever come to Europe. Yeah. He's on a new continent. He's gone to a new city, and he does something a little bit unusual. So typically what Paul used to do when he came to a new city was to go to the synagogue. This time he didn't. This time he does not. He's in Philippi, and if you ever get a chance to travel to Philippi, it is a fascinating city to visit, the uh, ruins of Philippi. But And if you ever want to have a biblical baptism, it's a great place to have a baptism as well in the river there because that river there is, is still there where Paul had this, where, you know, this is one of the genuine sites where you can actually go uh, to where, you know, one of the Bible stories actually happened. Yeah. However, he doesn't go to the synagogue. What does he do on the Sabbath day? He goes out to the riverbank. Why didn't you think he went to the synagogue? I think he's a man on a mission. Okay. Um, so looking here he's not gone to any place he's gone to one of the major cities um, and it's a major merchant like a commercial it is this one's actually a Roman city yeah it's a Roman city in Macedonia or Greece and I think he's I don't know I I think he's been spirit led Um, um, it says where he thought people would be meeting so he's been spirit led to head this direction rather than find a synagogue I, I kind of wonder whether there was no synagogue in Philippi. Well, in Roman city, there probably wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, this is this is a really valid point. This is a relatively new city. Maybe there's not a large Jewish population there. Paul typically started with the Jewish population before going and speaking to the Gentiles. And, and possibly, who knows, because um, the, the Jewish and the Christian belief was a fairly minor, especially the Romans were down on it, he thought, well, where would they go on a Sabbath if there was no church? And so he's probably said, this could be the likely spot I'll find some people. 
So this is where I think we should, uh, many of us should be worshipping right now. Uh, I've been a huge proponent of this. One of the things that they've noticed during uh, the COVID outbreak is that the dangerous places are where you get people closed up, locked up inside, indoors. And that's how we worship in church. That's right. Which is why we've got so many COVID restrictions when it comes to worshipping in church. And we have to, you know, to sign the papers and we have to um, do our social distancing and everything has to be sterilized. And we have to take all of these precautions. Deep clean after you've um, worshipped and all that stuff. Whereas we could go outside by the river, sit down on the riverbank, still maintain the social distancing, and you've got sunshine that kills the virus, you've got fresh air, you've got uh, an environment in which even if somebody does cough, it's not going to—it's not confined within a room. Hang in the air. It's going to hang in the air. It's going to—it's uh, going to be dispersed much more quickly. And they have found that you know pubs and clubs and places of worship and so forth, are the worst restaurants. They're actually saying you should leave windows and doors open when you've got pubs and clubs and even churches. Um, leave your doors and windows open to let the ventilation blow things out. That's right, absolutely. And so it's kind of like, I read this story here and it's like, you know what, maybe we need to be getting back to this right now. You know, well, particularly with our bigger congregations, let's go and meet on a hillside somewhere. The way that Jesus did, this is how Jesus did church. That's right. And my favourite Sabbaths growing up were not in a church building. My favourite Sabbath when my parents said, we're going bush, and uh-huh. we'll, we'll go bush and spend the day in the bush. They're my favourite Sabbaths. Kids absolutely love worshipping in the bush. That's right. And there is so many things that you can get kids to do in the bush. It is so interactive. It is tactile. They're touching things. They're turning stones over. They're falling in the creek. They're doing whatever kids do. And they are connecting with God in a very, very practical, well, they hands-on call nature way. God's second book. Yeah, and, and if that's his second book, sometimes I think we, we, we tend to have it a little bit out of balance. Yeah. yeah. But this, church, this church here is a church. Uh, it seems to be, and this is one that's interesting, it seems to be a female-only church. That's what I was looking at. They're wondering the same thing. The Bible says that the women went out there, and it's almost like Paul and Silas turn up there, and they're with a bunch of women who have gone there to pray. And I'm wondering what the backstory behind that is. I don't know. Well, also, um, you've got a woman here, Lydia, who's not just any woman. She's a seller of. She's a rich. She's fairly wealthy. Oh yes. Oh yes. So let's talk, let's talk about this then for a moment. So purple was, um, and is the color of royalty. That's right. So she sold to the kings, queens. Um, yeah, um, the, the rich and noble. Absolutely. The reason that the reason that purple was the well is the color of royalty today is because it was the color of royalty back then, and that tradition has passed down to today. The reason that it was the color of royalty in those days was because purple dye was made from a very small, very rare shellfish that was found in the Mediterranean, and. Uh, because it was so small and so rare and you had to have so many of them to be able to create purple dye, you had to be royalty to be able to afford it. If this woman is somebody who creates this particular purple dye and is creating you know, this kind of clothing, purple clothing, then she is a person who is... Very, very wealthy. This is a very significant person. And also right here. would would know a lot of people. Like would be um, well connected. Oh, um, absolutely. She's she's got connections all over the place. 
Yes. So she's well connected. She she knows exactly what is, uh, you know, how to how to make money. Because I mean, to get into a business which is a really high end business, you know, if you're going to get into a business selling Ferraris, you've got to have significant capital behind you to get into that business in the first place. And so she's got some significant capital. She's connected. She she knows royalty. You know, she'd be doing uh, clothes fitting for people. You know, at the top levels of society. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It's interesting the Bible mentions her in particular. I tend to think that you know somebody like this who is definitely a career woman was somebody who had uh, significant leadership um, characteristics. And it would make sense to me that if this group is meeting by the river, she's probably living in the city of Philippi. There's no synagogue there. Uh, and she's gone, you know what? Let's, uh, let's have a women's group out by the river. Uh, Paul and Silas, this is, this is me sort of reading between the lines when they get there. It's like, oh, is there a synagogue anywhere? It's like, no, there's no synagogue in this town. But there are a bunch of women that, uh, that pray out by the river every Sabbath day. And he's like, okay, cool, we'll go there. Yep. And so he does. And, and, and he and Silas go out there. And it results in Lydia giving her life to Jesus Christ. It's amazing how um, there's no almost that persuaded with me or no backward banter going forward. It was bang. You've preached it. I've heard it. She's a, she's a bits and all sort of woman. And she is. <laughs> and then she invites them to come and stay in her home. Yes. Yeah. That would have been nice for these guys. Because they're yeah. in a Roman. I mean, Paul is a Roman, but I'm sure he, he, he um, well, we know his experience. And for him to find people of like-mindedness and somewhere to stay in that city and someone that's well-connected that can give him some pointers of where to go, what to do and who to talk to, hey, this is like hitting the jackpot when it comes to um, evangelism. And, and it's also one of those things that, you know, you and I, Darren, we both uh, travel and, and preach and, and work in many different locations. And sometimes sometimes the accommodation is, hey, it's, it's, it's simple. You, you get over and appreciated. motels. You get over motels and stuff. But staying with people. But staying with people and particularly sometimes there's been times when I've stayed with people of significant wealth and it's like, wow, this is, this is, this is kind of nice, you know. <laughs> this <laughs> I is can nice handle five this. Star. <laughs> and uh, Paul is somebody who lived a life of sacrifice. Yep. He would have spent a tremendous amount of time sleeping on the side of the road, um, you know, just wrapped up in his cloak, so to speak, which was uh, the old version yes. of a swag that's you had a swag back in the days um and these guys were tough they were they were hard men that could handle harsh environments without complaining and this is how paul lived he could have had everything that lydia had had if he had remained a lawyer in jerusalem that's right that's right but he threw that all away oh well he gave it up when he was confronted in a pretty powerful... His conversion story is very powerful. That's right. And he gives all that up to have a life of uh, sacrifice and hardship. But at this particular point, it goes well for him before then going bad for him again. So let's read verses uh, 23 to 34. So a bit of a, bit of a passage here. Um, so going through to verse 23. 23 to 34. Yep. So... 23, they were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. Well, the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake 
and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his own sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptised. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So your first conversion is Lydia. Your second conversion is a very, very different story right here. It's a story of oppression and cruelty and beatings and... So it kind of it kind of starts off well for Paul. I can imagine Paul being like, you know, this is this is okay. We've come to Europe. Europe is not, not such a bad place. People are open to the gospel. Our work is going ahead, and I'm staying in a fancy home. He's gone. But here he's gone from five star to um, jail. No star. Yes, <laughs> probably minus five star right yes. here. So he's in jail. You can go to Philippi today, and you can see where they believe that jail used to be. And Philippi is a place that has been. Uh, wrecked on numerous occasions by earthquakes. The ruins of Philippi, you'll see you know, the ruins of buildings that have been broken down and you can see the repairs, you can see the, the fault lines and the cracks through them, you can see the streets where the streets have all, you know, the old Roman roads that used to be very flat and smooth, they've come apart over the years as a result of these earthquakes. So it's not the most uncommon thing to take place, but there well, this is... This is a coincidental earthquake. Yes. Right time, right place. I think it was a divine earthquake. I think God's gone, yeah, okay, let's, let's let this fault line loose right now. Yes. And kaboom, and off it's gone. Paul and Silas, you know, they have the chance to escape. But it's not just Paul and Silas. I imagine there are other prisoners there too. They all have the chance to escape, and they don't. Why so, not? I think there was a bigger agenda going on here that, I don't know, Paul... Um, why wouldn't you escape? I mean, I think I would. <laughs> it's like, the doors are open. It's, it's night time. The doors are open. The place has fallen down. It's like, well, we can get out of here. We, you know, we've just travelled across to Europe, and Europe is not so good. It was kind of a little bit like, you know, Christianity had gone wild, like wildfire in Asia, and Europe was looking across at Asia, which is, you know, there's not much distance between the two, and going, you know what, we don't want that to come here. And then these two guys turn up which are the most infectious Christians on the planet. And they're like, oh, we've got to stop it now. We've got to nip it in the blood. But nip it in the bud. We don't want Christianity coming here. They get beaten. They get placed in the stocks. They get publicly humiliated. Uh, it's some pretty heavy stuff that goes on. And it results in the conversion of who? The jailer and his household. And his household. And it's interesting, just looking here, Lydia and her household. So Paul's not just converting individuals, he's converting whole households. And this is a different story because, you know, when I think of Lydia, I think, okay, we've got a, a prominent Jewess. Yeah. Yep. The jailer is a Roman civil servant. So Paul's got no discrimination. says, anyone that wants to be converted, I'm converting. <laughs> Absolutely. Very, very different backgrounds that these people would have had. The jailer probably had... A background in the Roman army at some point. That's right. That's right. I think Paul didn't run because he 
I reckon there'd been some sort of relationship built up with the jailer over the time he'd been there, and um, the jailer's, I think, seeing something in Paul. Because and for Paul to run, he would have been condemning the jailer to death. Yes, yeah. And so, knowing that, as a Christian, what do you do? It's a pretty now, hard choice, um, really, but... Here's, here's another spin on the story. Um, in, a, in a Roman city like this, you did not have you know, a very large police force that we have today. And so somebody like the Roman jailer would have been you know, the equivalent of the police officer in charge of the city. That's right. So it was very, very different. So he would have been you know, kind of an official. He may have had three or four other guys who worked for him. Their job is to keep the peace and to execute punishments. So there probably so was the Roman... something happen next day and he's, he's ready for it to happen. Now, if he's the guy that's in charge of keeping the peace in the city and if he's the guy who's in charge of the police force and if he's the guy that's in charge of executing punishments, who was the guy in charge of beating these guys the day before? Ah. Now, here you are Paul and Silas, for instance. The prison breaks apart. You are free to slip away in the middle of the night just take advantage of the mass confusion that this earthquake has just brought to the whole I have, city. I would have run. <laughs> and you know that if you run away, the guy who just shredded your back the day before is going to get his just deserves and more. His life is over. His life is over. This is a great opportunity for revenge, isn't it? Yeah. But Paul doesn't go down that path. He chooses to remain where he was. Basically, he's free, but he's sitting there. <laughs> Stays there and him along with all of the other prisoners. He's like, do not commit suicide. We are all here. He must have said to the others, no one move. Just stay here. I mean, he must have had that much... I mean, he must have had much influence. He's not just evangelising the, the um, jailkeeper, the Roman. He's probably evangelising all those around him as well. So these guys trust Paul enough. Whoever they are, the criminals, trust Paul enough to stay there with him. It saves the life of the jailer. It doesn't just save his life. His whole family is converted. Yes. And yep. baptised. Yep. By breakfast time. That's not a bad effort. But also you find it's the jailer that's fixing their wounds. It is indeed. So you've got a complete reversal of um, circumstances that takes place here. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Uh, somebody's texted through to say that uh, in the last 18 months... They have read over 50 books. We were talking about book reading earlier. Awesome. 50 books is a pretty good, uh, a pretty good record right there. And, of course, these have all been spiritual books. Um, this person has been studying the Bible. And it's not books of the Bible because they're kind of short, but, you know, proper books. Yep. No, well, fantastic. Good reading. Good and, reading. And uh, this person has been um, focusing particularly on reading books via audio. So okay. this is one of the ways that you can actually get through a lot of books in a year is to use your commuting time to good effect by reading books on audio. And so I'd like to recommend that, you know, just uh, get some audio books. the smell. Yeah, you're going to miss out on the smell. You are going to miss out on the smell. We need to invent the smell so that when your audio starts, the smell just swaths in the car or something and you're all comfortable. I I don't think that an audio book has the same impact for me when I read an audio book as compared to when I read a paper book but you get, you get if I'm commuting, if I'm commuting, I'm not going to be reading a paper book, am I? 
That's right. Might as well use. I think. I think. I just congratulations to uh, to this person because I think they're using their their uh, their time in the vehicle very very wisely. What, what I do is, if I get a book on Kindle or um, a book audio book, then I like it. Then I will go buy the print book. Right. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Okay, where are we up to? Let's do another uh, story from the book of Acts. Have we done Acts 17 yet? I don't think we have. Acts 17, verse 33 and 34. Acts 17. Acts 17, 33 and 34. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Okay, so this isn't Athens. Athens was a small city back in the day. Corinth was the big city. Athens was the small one. It was a university town, and it was basically a center of philosophy. So this is where all of your thinkers and philosophers would go, and they kind of lived for the purpose of exchanging ideas. I like that, because when you read about the history of um, Adventism in Australia, they went to Melbourne... Because that's where the thinkers were. And, yes. And, and lots of libraries, as they were there. That's right. So, so Athens is uh, Australia's Melbourne. Yeah. Maybe yeah. there's a reason so, why. So, so, yeah, Paul's gone there for a very good reason. Maybe there's a reason why Melbourne is the uh, biggest Greek city outside of Greece. Yes. Oh. There you okay. go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could be. So, so Greeks, Greece is known for their thinkers, maybe, and philosophers. Um, hey, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and oh, also wow. their warriors under Alexander, so... Yeah, but anyway, Athens is definitely known for that. This is the center of you know, if if you had thoughts to share, if you wanted to refine your your philosophical skills, if you wanted to put thoughts out there and to argue them backwards and forwards, you would go to Athens. Paul kind of turns up in Athens a little bit by chance, and he's wandering around in Athens and he's like, "Well, what do I do here? How do I reach these people?" Because all they live for is the exchange of ideas. And so he begins to preach. He begins to preach about the, um, the unknown God. And, of course, this was a God who they, the Greeks recognized that all of their gods were very human in nature. And they would, you know, they would kill and lie and steal and, 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 and sleep around and cheat on their wives and all this kind of stuff. Very, very human. But they also recognized that somewhere in the ether there was the god who was the originator of all the Olympians and the Titans. Mm-hmm, yeah. And they call him the unknown god, and Paul's like, oh, I know that god. They had a statue made to him. The, the, a, 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 a altar. They had yeah. an altar made to him. Yeah, so and right, Paul yeah. comes along and is like, I actually know this god. Let me tell you about him. I can tell you all about him. He's a good friend <laughs> of mine. And so he is invited to go to the Areopagus. This is where the highest of the highest of the highest level of philosophers would gather to discuss new ideas. And, and here's the new idea he's talking about, by the way. It says it, what it is. Yes. The new idea he's talking about is the resurrection of the dead. That's right. So that's pretty, pretty um, way out there for them. <laughs> oh, for Athenians and for Greek philosophers, the supernatural was something that they... It was kind of, you know, they were at that level of religion where they kind of denied that, and particularly the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. This was not something that you could go and um, see happen on a daily basis. That's right. It was, you know, there's like eight of them in the Bible in the entire 1,400-year, odd-year span of the Bible. There's like eight resurrections that take place. 
This is not a common occurrence by any stretch of the imagination. And it says here that some laughed in contempt. When he, when he talks about the rest of the deck, said some there laughed in contempt. So he's obviously in this forum where the, all the thinkers are there and he's throwing his idea at them and they're laughing at him. What, what interests me is that Paul was, was recognised for his intellect in that he received an invitation to go there. This so was a place no, that you already know yeah. But this is a place that you only you only get to go there by invitation, and you don't get to go there if you're a lightweight. You've got to know what you're talking about. You've got that's to be able right. to, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're just if you're You've just got to be uh, a thinker, <laughs> that's right. You have to be a very very serious thinker, um, a very well studied and very well educated person to get an invite there. He goes there. This is going to be a tough group for him to evangelize. Mm, mm, mm. But we have two people that give their lives to Jesus Christ here. And the Bible, I think, mentions one of them in uh, the passage we read. Dionysius, a member of the council. So yes. not just anyone. This is actually a member of the council there. That's right. One of the Areopagites. Yeah. Um, and there was a prominent woman there as well that, who gave her life to Jesus. A woman named Damaris and others with them. So that mentions those two in particular, but it says yes. others as well. Okay, so these were, these were people who were at the highest levels of Athenian society and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And what you find here is that God is reaching people at all levels. Sometimes we look at, you know, the, 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 the philosophical giants of our world and say, well, you know, they're such, you know, staunch, died-in-the-wool atheists, which the Greek Athenians yep. were, and they'll never give their lives to Jesus Christ. And then we find that some of them do. And uh, we have that example right here. And so, so far, we've got a very prominent businesswoman. Yep. We have a civil servant and his family. Uh, we have an Areopagite. Let's yep. look at one more example of how the Holy Spirit works to reach different classes of people. Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. So 18 Acts 18, verse, verse 8. 8 down the road. Down the page. Um, 18, 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household, there you go again, believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul became believers and were baptised. Often we look at the history of the rise of Christianity and see it as something that really rose amongst Gentiles and was largely rejected by Jewish people. But here you have the most significant Jewish religious leader in one of the biggest cities in the ancient world who gives his life to Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian. Holy Spirit works everywhere. 